And we were just talking about Mookie Betts. Thanks for joining in. Uh, you may notice that Sully is off today. I am joined by Ben Grant, a good friend of mine who plays in the basketball league with me. And I was a guest on his show uh, not too long ago, Ad Hominem. Yes, currently on hiatus, but hopefully coming back soon. Thanks for having me, Wade. Yeah, not a problem. Definitely interested to get your take on some of our sports to to uh, excuse me, topics. A little bit of a stutter there. Uh, I'm going to go into our usual startup video for Belly Up Sports slash us. And when we come back, we're going to get right into it. Awesome. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. everybody how do you like the intro then i i very very uh entertaining yeah i definitely get when we first started doing it i get really pumped up coming out of the intro um yeah i'm kind of used to it now but just that the kobe 81 game to me was always a big deal as kobe's my all-time favorite player um and now it's like every time i see it uh, there's something i talked to sully because it's one of his favorite players as well there's almost something that stings you know seeing it now yeah i mean regardless of of who he did it against um 81 points is still, I mean, you can't even quantify what that means, even in today's NBA, never mind, you know, uh, when he actually accomplished that. Yeah, for sure. Now, uh, old high school uh, classmate of mine, Matt Bonner, was on that Raptors team. Uh, Bonner was actually two years behind me. I was a, a junior when he was a freshman and, and averaged 24 points and 20 rebounds as a freshman or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, he was a special player. Um I actually uh, I used to play uh, pickup at Southern New Hampshire University with guys like uh, his younger brother Luke, um, uh, Corey Hassan, uh, Tyler Roach, um, a lot of those guys who were coming up at the same time, including guys uh, like uh, Chris Lutz, who were on that um, amazing Trinity team. Uh, so um, yeah, I mean he was a he was a special player for the state of New Hampshire and, and had a pretty solid career, especially with. Uh, with the Spurs afterwards. Well, like I said, we are live on Facebook. We're also live on YouTube and live on Twitter. Uh, if you want to watch the show, you can certainly do that live. You can also check out the show in audio format on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music. And you can also catch the video replay on YouTube. It is saved there. And we do a lot of visual cues, so it's good to check that out. And you can reach the show at Infinity Sports Podcast on Facebook, at Infinity Sports Podcast on Instagram, and at Sports Infinity 5 on Twitter. You can also visit the website, www.infinitysportspodcast. We have a store there. You can get some great Infinity Sports merchandise, some 12 is greater than 9, and our Sully collection, which right now just has the Happy Gilmore quote on it. Uh, as I mentioned, Ben uh, is somebody I know I was on his show, Ad Hominem, and I wanted to see if you want to talk a little bit about your show, what it's about, and kind of where people can find it once it comes back on. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I do uh, have... Um a podcast ad hominem podcast. Uh, it's on YouTube exclusively, uh, exclusively right now, um, with my co-host Nick Paquin. Um, it's, uh, we, we talk about a lot of, uh, political issues, pop culture, um, sports. It's a good mix of, of topics, um, you know, that I think a lot of people, uh, would enjoy. We also have a, a segment at the end where, um, we, we give our guests, we have a weekly guest, um, you know, we give them a couple of choices, a couple of tough choices. We call it our rapid fire uh, section um, segment, excuse me. Uh, and we, um, you know, we give them some tough choices and then we get their take on 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 the choice. And, you know, we, we debate, we go back and forth. So uh, a lot of great dialogue. It is on hiatus right now. Um, we uh, we kind of decided that it, it may be a good idea uh, to get things uh, up and running potentially after the election. Uh, things were getting a little bit hot. Um, there were there was less enthusiasm about being a guest on the show to give uh, different perspectives and opinions. So 
Uh, we are on hiatus right now, but hopefully, ha uh, hopefully have that back up and running for you um, for for you know potential viewers soon. Yeah, for sure. I definitely enjoyed being a part of the show. I enjoy that kind of discord. Um, if it can be civil, you know, obviously, and I've been on a right. couple of shows like that, that, you know, it's funny because right wing shows like to have me on thinking I'm a left wing person. And obviously, I'm more of a moderate. I just lean a little yeah. left. Um, but people have me on and they're like, oh, don't get upset. You know, I'm like, I'm not going to get upset about whatever you're saying. And it's like, <laughs> that's your opinion. And if I disagree with you, that's cool. I mean, the world has lots of different colors. You know? Right. Absolutely. Um, I mentioned we are part of the Belly Up Sports Network. Uh, we talked last episode about my blog about LeBron James versus Michael Jordan. And I tried to make a case for both those guys. You guys can make up your own mind. I have Wilt as the GOAT, so neither one of those. But for those of you debating Jordan and LeBron, uh, definitely check out that blog. And my newest blog went up yesterday. That one is five trades that the Dallas Cowboys could make at quarterback. Obviously, you see in the cover there, we've got Cam Newton, uh, Marcus Mariota, Sam Darnold, uh, Mitchell Trubisky, and Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, did you have any thoughts on who the Cowboys could potentially you know, get at quarterback? Or are they going to stick with Dalton? Um, you, you know, it's that, that's a tough question because at this point, it, it's hard to know uh, what direction they're they're going to want to go in. Whether you know, there, there has to be a question now whether they're going to hold on to Dak Prescott, um, you know, with his injury. So, um, you know, do they try and do they try and tank a little bit now that you know now that Prescott's done. Um, if they are going to make a trade, I think uh, I think Fitzpatrick would give them the best chance to win now, just because he's a little bit more uh, he's a little bit more established. It's been shown uh, in recent years with weapons on Tampa Bay and Miami when he has weapons around him, he does become a pretty serviceable uh, quarterback for for teams. So. I think Ryan Fitzpatrick would would be their best option uh, of those guys that you listed. Um, but again, I mean, it really depends on which uh, direction Dallas wants to go in now that Dak's you know done for the year. I do want to remind our listeners and viewers that we do have a big interview coming up Wednesday, November 4th at 7 p.m. William Gates, one of the subjects of the award-winning documentary Hoop Dreams, will be joining the show. Now, uh, William Gates and Arthur Agee were the two kids they followed from their freshman year through their senior year of high school in that movie. I think it was an Academy Award winner for Best Picture, and uh, he's going to be on the show next Wednesday. So we're very excited to talk to him about his life, obviously why they chose him, you know, particularly to follow around being a Chicago kid, you know, he had some knee injuries that kind of derailed his career. So a lot of stuff we can talk to him about for sure. Yeah, that that's, uh, that's going to be a special episode for you guys. I, I, I remember hoop dreams uh, all the way back in high school, um, you know, watching it multiple times on, on multiple different sports teams, you know, when, when coaches wanted to, uh, you know, kind of get us motivated and um, offer a different perspective. Uh, it's, it was always a favorite documentary of mine. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting when they do those, right? Because I, I remember one more recently that they did on, uh, on Lance Stevenson when he was coming up, um, you know, as kind of supposed to be the next big thing. Um, and it's, it's really interesting to know not only where those players end up, uh, what, what becomes of their careers, but also their thoughts on it after the fact, I think is, um, is a really unique perspective and, and it's cool that you're doing that. We do have a big show today. We'll get right into it. We've got, we're going to talk a little World Series. We're going to talk a little bit, some NBA rumors, some NFL mo uh, moves. And we've got a new game that we're going to try out today called Greater Than. But first, we have the news. So the news segment, like on Monday, is brought to you by Invader Coffee. It is a sponsor of Belly Up. They are 100% organic, 100% air-roasted beans. You get 100% money-back guarantee, and it is a veteran-owned business. So definitely support the troops and those who help fight for freedom and for your right to drink coffee. If you place your order, you enter the code BELLYUP, all one word. You get 15% off your entire order. That includes the coffee, the pods. They also have creamers that include BCAAs if you're a weightlifter. So a very cool promotion there from Invader Coffee, and we appreciate their support on the Belly Up Sports Network. The first piece of news... The first piece of news that I have here is, of course, the World Series. The Dodgers are the World Series champions. 
went six games. We weren't sure. Are the Rays going to force a game seven? They did not. And obviously the big story is Blake Snell was wheeling and dealing through six innings. He only threw 72 pitches and then uh, Cashman takes him out. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know what he was thinking. Um, it's uh, it was an interesting call. Um, I mean, sometimes you, you look at a, you look at a pitcher's count and, you know, you think, well, um, rather have a fresh arm in there than just, you know, than just the hot arm. Um, I, I think it was obviously the wrong decision. And, you know, obviously any of us can, can weigh in on that um, and not necessarily see what a major league manager is seeing. Um, but yeah, you have to question that decision with, with uh, the outcome now, especially. Well, it did seem reminiscent of um, Pedro Martinez getting pulled in the ALCS against the New York Yankees. They put Tim Wakefield in. He gives up the home run to Boone. Uh, it made me think of Roger Clemens getting pulled in the World Series against the Mets before Bill Buckner's error. Um, both of those different scenarios. I think Pedro had thrown over 100 pitches at that point when he came out of the game. Uh, he did look like he was struggling to find the strike zone. Clemens had a blister on his hand. He couldn't grip the ball. So a little bit different here. We have, as far as we know, like I said, there's nothing – saying why he would come out at such a low pitch count. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to explain. Um, I mean, I think a lot of people will, especially, uh, you know, Tampa Bay apologists will kind of just explain it away. You know, when you consider that, um, you know, in terms of payroll, uh, Clayton Kershaw and Mookie Betts together um, make more money than the entire Tampa Bay Rays roster. Um so I think, you know, a lot of apologists will try and explain it away and say, yeah, it might have been uh, it might have been the wrong decision. But, um, you know, for us to compete anyway was was something special and unprecedented. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. You know, there may have been something that he saw that, uh, you know, that nobody else could see. But it's it's really, really hard to to see how he could do that in, in that situation when, um, you know, when when they're their lives were on the line. We are joined by Sully in some form in spirit. He's with us. Uh, he says awful pull by cash. Um, he then says, uh, I said that last week. Um, so I know that he wouldn't be a big fan of the managerial decisions there. Um, so definitely cool to have him chime in and about what he was thinking. Um, yeah. You know, as far as the World Series, I don't have a whole lot to say. I mean, the Dodgers win a World Series. I really feel like they were the favorite all season long. They're the highest winning percentage during the season. They were steamrolling teams. Their pitching staff looked good. Their hitters look good. That lineup is just, I think it's better than Murderer's Row, if you think about it. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it's, uh, you know, they they have no weaknesses anywhere on their roster, really, from what um, from what I can see. And, and again, you know, for Tampa Bay to compete was – was something special and it made uh, a, you know, a uniquely kind of, um, you know, frustrating major league uh, season from both, a, from both, I'm sure a player standpoint and also a viewer standpoint. Um, it, it made it a lot more exciting to end the season, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think that was expected. The Dodgers were just, were just that much better, not only from a roster standpoint, but also from, um, you know, also from a, from just a managerial standpoint too, which is, which is obvious now. And, uh, you know, it's nice to see obviously, the Red Sox West, I guess I would call them, uh, kind of do well, but how do you feel about getting to see David Price put a ring on? Uh, because I know a lot of people did not like David Price. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, David Price, I think the, the expectations for him in, in Boston, um, were, were a little bit overblown. I mean, I know, when Boston got David Price, what what the expectations were were that he was going to be a Cy Young caliber pitcher, um, and that there was that there were really no excuses for him to, uh, you know, with with the lineups that we had, um, for him to underperform. Uh, you have to take into consideration environment, um, you know, when dealing with Boston. It's a very tough place to play, uh, you know, when it comes to pressure from fans when it comes to pressure from uh, the media. Um, and so he did end up underperforming. Um, but I think, you know, I, I think uh, David Price getting a ring, it's it's good for him. He is a talented enough pitcher uh, to do it. Um, and despite a lot of the, uh, a lot of the excuses he made when he was in Boston, you know, it's, 
I wish him well. It's it's a little bit annoying with with how he played here, uh, with how he performed here. But um, you know, good on him. Congratulations. As he Sully says, the Dodgers had the fourth highest run differential of all time this year. That's a good stat. <laughs> it's an only uh, sixty games, or whatever it was, too. Yeah, yeah. Now the next bit of news I have, we're getting into football. Stefan Gilmore reports are that he has put his house up for sale here in uh, Massachusetts. And I say here in Massachusetts, I live in New Hampshire, but in New England. And there's a lot of people reading things into it. Now, I mean, who knows? Maybe he's going to buy a bigger house now because his house appreciated. We don't know, right? But what we do know is that he was a defensive player of the year last year. He only has one year left on his contract. So he is through 2021. This isn't the last year. And that 2021 cap, it's only $7 million. So I don't see any reason, if you have the defensive player of the year for $7 million a year, why you would trade him. So I don't know. But people are thinking that he might be traded. Right. I mean, so, you know, there are a lot of different factors here. It, it could be uh, it could be a situation in the locker room that a lot of people don't know about. Um, you know, obviously, the Patriots historically are good at uh, keeping, you know, issues like that under wraps. Uh, what I would say is, is that, yeah, I, you know, it, it could be one of those things. You know, everybody made a, a big deal about, you know, when Tom Brady went and looked at a, a school in Chicago for his son this offseason, everybody was talking about how he was going to the Bears and, you know, speculation on on when a player sells a house. You're right. He could just be buying a bigger house. Um, I would I would find it difficult to understand uh, if they do end up trading him just because, as we were talking about before the show, um, you know, the fact that the Patriots have dealt with kind of the, the biggest impact as far as COVID goes, um, not only in season, but before the season started, you know, Patrick Chung, uh, Dante Hightower, uh, two of their their most impactful uh, defensive players opting out of the season. Um, on top of, you know, uh, Bolden, who is a perennial special teams guy along with, you know, along with Matthew Slater, um, when he plays is, is one of their biggest special teams players, Marcus Cannon on the offensive line, arguably their best offensive lineman. Um, you know, Matt Lacoste, who we all know how, uh, how much tight ends factor into a Patriots offense from years past. Um, I just felt like they were dealt kind of a, a tough hand to begin with and they're doing the best that they can. Um, and people saying that, you know, this proves anything as far as, you know, Bill versus Tom or, <laughs> you know, the direction that they're going to go, you know, back to the old, the Patriots of old that everybody uh, experienced before they had their success of the last 20 years. Um, I just think that's, that's overblown. We need to wait and see. But as far as Gilmore goes specifically, I, I would find it difficult uh, to understand them trading him. Uh, and hopefully it's just, you know, an overblown headline. Another move that happened is the uh, Bengals traded Carlos Dunlap to the Seattle Seahawks. Obviously a big name, and Carlos Dunlap's a guy who he does put pressure on the passer. Historically, he'll give you eight, nine, or even ten sacks in a season. But this season, he's only got one sack. Now, it could be double teams. I don't know. I don't watch Bengals games. Uh, but what I do know is that the Seattle Seahawks love length and speed on the defense, and he's got that in buckets. Yeah, uh, Dunlap is a great pickup for them. Um, their defense has been awful. Uh, and the fact is, is that as good as Russell Wilson and that cast of receivers, um, you know, along with running back uh, Chris Carson, as, as good as that offense is, they can't just get into shootouts and expect to, you know, to constantly win those games, um, especially deeper in into the season, you know, dealing with teams like, uh, you know, teams like Green Bay, uh, in the playoffs, um, you know, there are teams that if they get into those type of shootouts and have no pressure on the quarterback whatsoever, they're going to lose. Um, and so I think picking up a solid pass rusher, uh, like Dunlap is the right move for them, uh, to continue to compete and to continue to be considered, a um, a Super Bowl contender. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully the combination of, of Dunlap and, and, uh, Jamal Adams is, you know, uh, pays dividends for them. In NBA, we had a report that the Dallas Mavericks were trying to trade into the lottery or in the top part of the draft, and they're all in on building this team. They've got Chris Stapps. They've got, uh, you know, Luka Doncic. The thing that puzzles me is that by most 
experts' accounts. This is one of the worst drafts in, in years. So trying to get into the top of the draft, I mean, they must have had a private workout or a scout or somebody tell them, this is a guy we need to get. Do not miss the boat on this guy. That's the only thing I can think of because I don't see any guy like that in this draft. Yeah, it's it's um, it's it's difficult to to say because you know with I I saw the same headline and basically what they said is is that they want a third superstar to go with Luca and and Porzingis who you know obviously a lot of people don't know this Porzingis is still only twenty five years old so the the consensus is that they're going to be good for for a pretty long time so when you consider that. Uh, future first round picks aren't really going to factor into any deal that they make um, significantly. Uh, you know, the, looking at the the lottery, probably the only team that could be looking to move a pick, and I did read headlines about this as well, is is Atlanta, uh, which would make sense in terms of the young guys that they have with, um, you know, with with Young and and Collins and Capella, uh, DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish. Um, you know, they're they're pretty they're pretty set on the young guys. And I hear that they're looking for, uh, they're looking to upgrade at a position and move down from that. I think it's the sixth pick. Um, so, you know, they're the one trade partner, but again, what does Dallas have? I mean, they don't really have draft picks that hold that much value because of how successful they're going to be as a team. And in terms of guys that they have right now, um, you know, Tim Hardaway, uh, you know, Finney Smith, I, I don't know what they, what they expect to to do in terms of making moves, um, but yeah, that's that's a weird one to me. I don't I don't know. You know, saying you want to move into the lottery um, in a in a weak draft is is one thing. Uh, actually doing it and getting a guy who can be a number three to those two superstars is I don't know if you're going to find it in this draft. I don't think so, and I don't understand either. I think the team that I thought would be most likely to trade down would be Golden State at two um, because they've got everyone coming back healthy next year, including Andrew Wiggins. But right. I've also seen reports, and this could be just be speculation by many, that there could be a package involved of Wiggins and the number two overall pick plus other stuff for Giannis uh, the Greek Freak. Yeah, that. so, I mean, that would be interesting. Um, I don't know unless the Bucks are sure that they're going to lose Giannis. I don't know if Wiggins and a number two is enough because Wiggins is a nice player, but he's not going to, I mean, him and Middleton are not going to get the Bucks into the playoffs, maybe in the East. We'll see. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if that's the package, you know, you know, I don't know. It's it's an interesting take. Uh, we'll see what happens. But yeah, I mean, I, I did forget about Golden State with with the roster they have moving off of the two pick could could definitely be uh, could be in play. Now, after the news, like I mentioned, I teased it a little bit at the beginning of the show. We do have a new segment. Uh, we're trying it out here. It's a little bit of a game called Greater Than. And basically what we're going to do is we're going to throw out two things, two names, two places, what have you. And we're going to discuss which one is greater than the other. Um, let's kick things off right here. I, I know that uh, Ben is a, a golfer, so I want to throw this one out here for you. And the two things I'm going to throw out there, greater than 350-yard drive or 30-foot putt. Oh man. Um, I, I think if it's a legitimate 350 yard drive, like you're not hitting a cart path and it's bouncing and you, you end up going down the fairway and realizing that you hit it 350 yards. I think hitting a, a drive flush 350 yards would be, uh, would be a much more impressive feeling than a 30 foot putt because I've hit, a 30 foot putt. I've never hit a 350 yard yard drive. Um, Mine is part. actually the exact opposite because really? I've hit a 350 yard drive. Um, <laughs> I've never hit a 30 foot putt and I have hit 15 foot putts. And maybe because I'm such a, uh, in my youth, I was such a big hitter. I mean, mm -hmm. consistently over 300 with the driver off the tee. Okay. See, I've never been that. So, <laughs> and so for me, it was like, okay, I hit a 310, 320, 350 yard drive. I'm like, Oh, that's cool. I can talk about that later. But there was something about hitting a long putt, whether it was a 15, 20 foot putt, because you're just trying to get it close and not blow it past the hole. Right. And it goes in the cup. There's something that like for three or four or five holes that feels good, no matter how you play those holes. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think it probably speaks to our games, right? Like, I, I am more of a, I am more of a wedge player, uh, and I'm very good around the greens. And so, um, especially speed, my speed has always been great. So, I rarely three putt when I'm on, and so even long putts like that, um, I put it close to the hole, and then I have a, a, a decent second putt. And so, um, you know, I've never been. Uh, you know, it's funny because my distance kind of fluctuates with my weight, you know, even when I'm weighing less, my, my drive is still at most right around 250, between 250 and 270 yards. So I just think, you know, from also from a social standpoint, right? Like I have friends who, who always hit the ball over 300 yards and, you know, whenever we get, you know, going on a, you know, whenever we do a scramble or, or go on a trip, it's, Oh, why don't we play from the blacks? You know, why don't we play from the tip? So it really is kind of a, you know, um, it depends on a lot of different things, but for me, you know, hitting a, hitting a flush drive 350 yards would, yeah, it would just feel, it would just feel a lot more special to me than hitting that 30 yard putt, but to each their own really. And what do you have for a greater then? Um, so I'm going to get, I was, I was thinking about this, uh, this week in particular, um, just because it, you know, with the NFL season rolling on, there are some, some interesting headlines. And so I have, um, two rookie quarterbacks. I think at this point, from what I've seen watching them both pretty closely, uh, that Justin Herbert is a, uh, more impressive player than Joe Burrow is. Okay, so it's Justin Herbert Herbert greater than Joe Burrow. Um, If you look at, you know, their completion percentage, uh, touchdowns versus interceptions, uh, QBR, uh, the the games that they've had versus the opponents that they've that they've played, um, Herbert just looks a lot more impressive to me. He looks like he has much more command of the offense, and to do that this early in his career, um, you know, they both have similar weapons. They're both coming off of they're both going into situations that are similar, right? They basically have teams that are intact uh, from, um, you know, from recent franchise runs with quarterbacks like Andy Dalton in Cincinnati and, and uh, um, well, I'm spacing on the name. Uh, Philip Rivers. Philip Rivers. Yes. Thank you. Uh, that's inexcusable since he's now the quarterback for the team that I root for the Colts. So, um, you know, they're, they're going into similar situations and, uh, Herbert has just looked a lot more impressive uh, to me than than Joe Burrow, despite obviously Burrow being the guy that everybody touted before uh, the season as you know the number one pick. Well, see, and I have Joe Burrow as greater than Justin Herbert. Uh, my reasoning really being, I wasn't a Burrow fan coming into the draft because mm-hmm. it was the one good year he had in college. The year before that, he was mediocre. Right. So I wasn't sure if he was going to be a one-hit wonder. Oregon quarterbacks generally don't pan out. But when you look at the measurables of Herbert, you know he's 6'6". He's got a cannon for an arm. He runs a 4'4". He's got all the tools that you like. My thing with Burrow is that he looks like the leader of the team as a rookie. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he looks like the team captain when he's out there. And he's talking and people have his respect and they're all looking at him for what to do. Kind of like Tim Tebow did. He has, like, that kind of magnetism. Yeah. I don't think Herbert has that, which is fine. He's a rookie. You're not supposed to be the leader of the team as a rookie. But when we talk about the uh, athleticism and the measurables versus the intangibles, I really see like a Tom Brady and just in uh, Joe Burrow versus a Peyton Manning in, um, you know, Herbert. And I like Brady better than Manning. So I'm taking Joe Burrow. Yeah. I mean, again, that's, that's going to be a place where we disagree. Um, I mean, I, I know the way that, uh, that people in new England feel about Tom Brady, um, I've always considered him, you know, I, I honestly, with what he's accomplished, I, we've had this conversation before. I do think that he's the greatest of all time. Um, but in terms of, in terms of talent, in terms of, um, you know, just, just making all the throws and, and, uh, playing quarterback at the highest level. Um, I do think Peyton Manning was in general, a better quarterback than Tom Brady was. Um, and so maybe that's, maybe that's the root of the disagreement for us. I'm one of these threads. I said, without saying six rings, you know, make an argument for why Tom Brady is better than Peyton Manning. And I said, well, here's the thing. If you look at their stats side by side, game for game, they average the same number of passing yards per game. 
they have the same completion percentage, but Tom Brady turns the ball over less than Peyton Manning did. Tom Brady had like a three to one touchdown to interception ratio, whereas Peyton Manning had like a 2.6 to one, you know, which is close, but over a course of several thousand throws, it adds up. And at the end of the day, I said, if they're equals, let's just call them equals and stats. I mean, complete equals, then you have to go to the team records, even though it's a big team game and the quarterback's one of many pieces, but we have nothing else to go on. Their measurables are all the same. So we have to go by team achievement and the team achieved more with Tom Brady. So even though their stats are identical, I went with Brady as the better quarterback because of the six rings and the record of like 77% winning percentage in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I understand that take. I mean, I'd, I'd like to... Obviously, we didn't discuss that this would be one of the debates that we had. Maybe in a future show, if you have me on again, we can discuss this more in depth. But, um, you know, I would look into, you know, uh, deeper stats like how far Tom Brady actually threw the ball, you know, uh, yards per completion, stuff like that. Because, you know, I I understand what you're saying in terms of um, touchdown to interception ratio. That being said, in terms of turnovers, you know, when you – take more chances and you throw the ball further and you try and fit it into difficult windows, obviously that leaves you more open to, um, you know, more open to, to turnovers and interceptions. And when you consider that him taking more chances is probably indicative of him actually being talented enough to take those chances rather than just throwing it, you know, six yards and letting talented receivers do what they do. Um, I think that probably factors in a little bit, but uh, again, you know, the, the stats and the, um, you know, the debate is, is a little bit deeper than that. And, and obviously uh, I'm not quite as prepared for, for uh, a more in-depth debate on that one. I'm only prepared because I had that argument a couple of days right, ago. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but no, all right. So my next greater than we're going to venture off of sports for a second here. Mm-hmm. Billy Joel Elton John. Oof. Um, man, I would go, I would go Elton John. Um, I think his music is just, is just so iconic. And that's not to say that Billy Joel's music isn't, um, but I just think, you know, in terms of over, over their full career, um, Elton John and his, his persona, uh, and his music, just reached a a higher level um, than Billy Joel did at at his peak. Um, And that's not to say that Billy Joel isn't a fantastic, um, you know, isn't a fantastic singer songwriter and, and hasn't had a fantastic career. I just think Elton John, when you're talking about greater than iconic, it's, it's Elton John over Billy Joel. See, I take Billy Joel over Elton John. And uh, my reasoning is this. Is I, again, like you said, both of them are fantastic. It's very close, which is why I use the two of them. Yeah. Uh, the reason I take Billy Joel is because Elton John, I'm going to compare him to two other musicians or composers, which is Mozart and Beethoven, right? Mozart yeah. may have been the more talented between the two of them. Beethoven was not a prodigy. But when you listen to their music, Mozart's music has a pretentiousness to it. It's a, it's a rich person's music. It's it's fancy waltzes. Beethoven's music is dark and deep and soulful, and there's something emotional in his music. With Billy Joel and Elton John, Elton John sounds like he's singing for the rich people with the champagne glasses and the martini glasses. Billy Joel singing Piano Man and Goodnight Saigon and Down Easter Alexa. They're songs about me, the average guy. And mm-hmm. so I have that connection to Billy Joel more so than Elton John. Yeah, I got you. And, and, you know, maybe again, maybe it's just, it's, it's why we do these segments, right? Because it's, it's from, it's from a perspective of, um, well, you know, I can appreciate that, you know, Billy Joel, the, the every man, you know, the, the songs that are kind of the every man's, uh, song. Whereas like, again, I look at iconic, I look at those, those songs that are just, you know, kind of higher than life, uh, that really kind of, you know, again, highlight the extravagance. Um, and that's, that's where I can appreciate Billy Joel's or excuse me, Elton John's greatness over, over Billy Joel's. So, um, definitely respect the opinion. That's, you know, obviously that's just where, where I go with it. Uh, what do you, um, so I'm going to go into a realm that I'm not sure. I'm not sure how, how closely you, you follow, um, with, uh, with the UFC. Um, 
Khabib Nurmagomedov just won just won his his title defense or or not his title defense um, because they were both kind of champions at the time, but just be Justin Gaethje. Um, and so a lot of people are talking about him being the goat of the UFC. He's, he's undefeated, um, kind of dominated all his opponents. And, um, I actually think that John Jones is, uh, greater than, uh, Habib. Um, and so again, I'm not sure how, how, uh, how much research or, or, or how much you're into the UFC. I'm, I'm a kind of a lifelong MMA fan, um, did quite a bit of training in my youth. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of used to the culture and, and used to, uh, you know, used to the fandom. Um, when you look at John Jones uh, and, and look at who he's competed against, uh, the Leota Mashidas, the Mauricio Shogun, who was, um, you know, Stefan Bonner, uh, Ryan Bader, uh, Alexander Gustafson twice, uh, Daniel Cormier, um, his, his repertoire is just, uh, far greater than, than Habib's. Um, and, uh, I think a lot of people that are kind of just saying that Habib is, is the, the greatest of all time are just, are, are mistaken. Um, he hasn't really, he's, he's fought a couple of, uh, a couple of special talents. Uh, but, but really, you know, since he came into the UFC in 2012, really has only fought an average of once a, once a year. Um, and when you consider John Jones's only loss, um, he's also technically kind of undefeated because his only loss was he was uh, beating the, the crap out of, out of a guy named uh, Matt Hamill and just happened to uh, use a downward elbow when he already had the fight won and was, was disqualified. Um, I just think that John Jones is, is the, the greatest of all time. Um, he's still fighting, whereas Habib, at least on the surface, seems to have retired uh, after the death of his father, after this most recent win. Um, so I think it's hard to hard to pick uh, Habib over over Jones and people who are doing so. I think they should just look at the uh, the the body of work a little bit more closely. Yeah, I'm definitely not uh, prepared to argue in depth for either <laughs> one, um, but I, I I did watch UFC way back in its infancy stages. Mm-hmm. And- for me, I mean, I've watched a little bit. I've watched McGregor. I've watched a little bit uh, of Khabib. I've watched a little bit of like uh, was it Matt Hughes and guys like that. But going back to like Royce Gracie, who would fight when there were no weight classes, when there yeah. were no gloves, and you basically had to fight three fights per day to kind of advance through the tournament. And guys like that. So Royce Gracie basically is the father of modern Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Right. The way I look at it. So, right. well, well, Bruce Lee, technically. But, um, you know, Royce Gracie perfected the whole art and, and and the idea of him wearing the the gi every time he fought, never going with the skin. I always thought that was just really cool. And I don't know. I, I have him as my goat, but again, I don't really know enough to. Make no, it. no, absolutely. And, you know, I, I agree with you, you know, Gra- the Gracie family is still, you know, heavily respected and, and looked at as kind of the, you know, the forefathers of, of Brazilian jiu-jitsu along with Eddie Bravo. Um, and so uh, I think, um, you know, I, I understand what you're saying there. I think, you know, it's like one of it's just to compare it to something, you know, you look at the forefathers of our own country as presidents of the United States. I don't know if anybody would say that, um, you know, that any of those guys were the greatest presidents we ever had. Because um, obviously, well, <laughs> you know, you, you could. I, I think that they were flawed human beings and they did the best that they could in, the, in you know, in the era um, in which they were presidents. Uh, but I think in, in terms of, you know, greatest presidents of all time. There have been presidents since then that have, um, you know, in a much, in a much tougher situation, uh, in in terms of once the country was already established, um, have done a lot more for the development of, of the United States than, um, you know, than, than just the original founding of the country, which I understand was difficult, but not necessarily, um, you know, not necessarily the, the greatest of achievements or made them the greatest presidents. So, um, you know, again, it's, it's a difference of opinion. Uh, and I know, like you said, you weren't really uh, prepared to go over that topic, but, uh, yeah, Jones for, for all you fight fans out out there, um, you know, Jones over Habib in my, in my opinion, um, you know, hopefully, uh, 
hopefully if there's an outlet for you to debate that on the or, or after the show we uh, we get to see some of those comments yeah for sure um so the next one i have we'll go two more one from each of us uh shawshank redemption a few good men Oof. um I would go a few good men. Uh, I love Shawshank Redemption, um, but I just think a few good men was a perfect was 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 such a a breakout role for um, for a few of those actors from a dramatic standpoint, um, and was so well written, and there were so many kind of. Uh, iconic moments in that movie um, that I would put it above Shawshank Redemption as much as I loved that movie. Um, I would go A Few Good Men. Yeah, part-time. I personally would go uh, A Few Good Men as well. Uh, And the reason being is that Shawshank, for all its greatness, and I can watch the entire movie from start to finish without pausing it, there's an element to it that's dark, um that feels kind of like getting punched in the stomach and, and, and i talk about the movie for example just to segue a little bit is uh, american history x which is a, just a phenomenal uh movie in terms of the the content and the acting performances and w- just everything but watching that movie you have to get ready to feel like somebody punches you and i feel like shawshank not as much as american history x but shawshank right. has an element of getting punched in the stomach yes a few good men there's lightness there's funny parts there's kind of a blend of drama plus you know again it's, the, it's not completely dark like shawshank shawshank's a very dark movie up until the very end and, and believe it or not i don't know if i'd mentioned this on your show or, or in other uh, conversation but shawshank redemption originally ended with um red getting on the bus and saying i hope i see my friend again i hope and that was the end credits roll right yeah and they said that you know fans were furious walking out of the film because they've been getting punched over and over and over and that's how we're going to end this thing so they had to kind of come back and reshoot tim robbins on the beach and they reunite with the hug you had to have that to get out of that dark place and like i said i don't feel a few good men gets to that dark place to make you feel uncomfortable yeah for sure um and you know i can understand that you know the greatness greatness is obviously completely subjective but at the same time, it has it has its its elements, right? Like I, I look at um, you know I look at The Office for for instance. Um, in my opinion, one of the greatest comedies uh, I've I've ever had the pleasure of watching because it had all the elements. You know, it had the it had the comedy, it had the it had the written comedy, it had the improv, it had the the feel good moments, it had um, a little bit of drama mixed in there. Um, and you take some of those other comedy shows that that other people put up as the greatest, and it's just like, well, it made you laugh, and it was really, really funny, but that's kind of all it did for you. And so there there are, I would agree with you that, um, especially with A Few Good Men, it did just kind of have more of an all-around great movie feel than, than Shawshank Redemption, as great as Shawshank Redemption was. And Strikeout Beer says American History X was amazing. Uh, agree with those guys. Great show. Uh, check out Strikeout Beer uh, if you get the chance. Uh, all right, what do you got for your last greater then? Um, so this is kind of this is kind of a, a COVID perspective on uh, something that I I think a lot of people um, participate in. Um, I have officially come around on uh, daily fantasy sports over year long fantasy sports. Um, with dealing with all the COVID injuries and opt-outs and it's just become completely apparent that daily fantasy sports is the way to go. I mean, you pick, uh, if, if you're somebody who, um, if you're somebody who really values, um, or believes in your own skill at evaluating matchups and, uh, being good at, at fantasy in general, uh, fantasy daily fantasy sports is the way to go for me. You can pick a new lineup based on, uh, you know, projections and, um, and matchups every week. Um, and it's, it's just, it's for somebody who has always been into year long fantasy and has always proud prided myself on being great at, you know, studying waiver wire pickups and matchups. It's just become, 
it's just become so kind of boring compared to, uh, you know, picking different lineups every week and, and having fun that way. So, um, you know, from a sports standpoint and, and from a fan of fantasy sports, that's, that's my big one is that daily fantasy is, is at this point, it's become just better than, than year long fantasy, in my opinion. I can see that point for sure. And uh, I definitely have felt that as well, kind of playing a fantasy. I play fantasy football, but it's a season long thing. Yep. I also do the DraftKings every Sunday or whatever right. it is. And the thing that actually uh, frustrates me, I guess, about the, the DraftKings is so I do DraftKings golf all during the spring, summer, or whatnot before we get to yeah. football. And I build up my bankroll with my coworkers. We have a league, and I've got like $200 in my DraftKings account so that I can lose it all during football season because I never win a single matchup. <laughs> and uh, it, it's just so hard for me to predict. Uh, but I do understand, like, the hard thing for me is I'm not a gambler. Like, I don't mm -hmm. gamble on things, really. Right. So if you're a hardcore gambler, I think in definitely DraftKings, like the daily thing has got to be like, yeah, I get my fix today. Tomorrow I got to fix. The day after that I got to fix. You know, and so for me, I don't really get the the excitement from playing it, I guess, especially like baseball. I, I don't. You know, oh, we're going to start, you know, Blake Snell. We're going to start, um, you know, especially when it's one game, you can only pick from two teams. Is it, that's where it gets a little frustrating to me. Um, but I do agree with you that in terms of year-long enjoyment, right, uh, and, and this is coming from uh, a happily married man, right, happily married, you know. Yeah. But obviously there's a part of you when you get married, the longer you get married, that reveres those youthful days when there are lots and lots of options. You, know? <laughs> so you think about those yeah. times. And and that's the same thing, I think, with the, the football, right? Is I love the year-long football, but it it is nice to be able to like, yeah, I'm going to switch it up today. Oh, I'm going to switch it up to something else tomorrow. I'm going to go back to the other thing, too. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, especially, you know, changing lineups on the fly. And, you know, my, my opinion is, and I've been trying to look at whether DraftKings does this, but just the idea of even if you're going, you know, combine the two. Do do a year long, uh, you know, do a year long league with a group of people, and just do a buy in, and then you know have everybody pick a new lineup every week, and do weekly payouts, and then if you know whoever has the most points at the end of the season, do a year long payout as well. I mean, that's another option. I just think, you know, again, with with dealing with all of these COVID opt outs and you know players missing games because of COVID during while you're in the season, on top of all the injuries that you regularly need to deal with. Um, I just have really come around on respecting uh, and um, enjoying the utility uh, of of daily fantasy sports. Well, that is our segment. Obviously, it's very fun. We get to talk about a couple different points of views. Our next segment is the uh, usual Wednesday ending, which is our football picks. I do want to say check out Belly Sports MD's Fantasy Football Show. It airs Thursdays and Fridays from 12 to 1.30 p.m. If you guys are setting your fantasy football lineups, make sure you listen to these guys before you do it because I don't know how many times I've had a guy on the bench gets me 27 points while my starter got me seven. You know, and if I'd listened to their show, they would have told me to start that guy over the other guy. So it's definitely great to listen to MD's fantasy football show. Highly recommend. Give that a listen. As we get into picks, Thursday night game is going to kick things off, uh, Ben. So we've got the uh, the Panthers are giving up two and a half to the Falcons, who look atrocious. The over-under is 49. Uh, looking at those numbers, I mean, what, what were your train of thoughts? How are you betting if I give you $100? Uh, yeah, I, I like the Panthers, uh, Panthers in the over, um, neither defense is, is all that impressive. Uh, but we all know that, um, you know, Atlanta's explosive offense, the one place where they excel, uh, especially in garbage time combined with, uh, the fact that, you know, again, Carolina doesn't have a great defense and, and has been playing, uh, well on offense with the combination of, you know, Teddy Bridgewater with that. Um, you know, special group of receivers, you know, more uh, Robbie Anderson, um, their backup running back uh, Davis. You know, I, I, I do like uh, Caroline in the over in the city. I do. I do as well. Looking at Teddy Bridgewater and the Carolina Panthers, uh, Teddy Bridgewater is eighth in passing yards for the season. I think he's fourth in completion percentage. He's got potentially what is being referred to as a genius offensive head coach in Matt Rule. And yet he's only got six touchdowns and three interceptions on the season. And Sully and I were perplexed. We can't figure out why he doesn't have more touchdowns when everything else number wise looks good. Yeah. I mean, so that that's, that's, uh, that's just the way it is with some, with some offenses, especially uh, quarterbacks who are in a system for the first time. 
Um, sometimes it just takes them uh, getting over a proverbial hump um, to, to learn how to, you know, everything else is running great, except when you get into those red zone situations. Um, and, and, you know, maybe it's the fact that they're missing uh, that big target, you know, tight end that they used to have in, in Olsen. So, um, you know, who knows, but, but uh, you know, again, I, I do think the, the Panthers are turning a corner. Uh, they looked good against the Saints last week, and and that is why I have them uh, uh, in the over, uh, you know, w- winning with this uh, and covering the spread. The next game is <laughs> the Green Bay Packers and the Minnesota Vikings. The Packers are giving up six and a half to the Vikings. The over-under is 54. This Vikings team just looks really bad, and Aaron Rodgers looks really good. And now he's got Devontae Adams back. So I think they're going to cover that six and a half spread. I think they probably win by 10 or 14 in this game. Uh, as far as the over-under, I'm thinking, let's see, like a 30 to 14 game. So I'm going to go with the under. I'm going to say the Packers and the under. Uh, yeah, I'm actually going to go Packers and the over. Uh, when you look at when you look at the first game uh, that they had in Minnesota, uh, they e- easily covered that over, and they also easily covered the spread. Now, where it, where it might get a little bit dicey uh, is that um, it is looking like Aaron Jones may miss another week. Um, and he was a big part of of that victory uh, the first time around. Um, so I, I actually wouldn't be super surprised uh, if it if it was the under, like you said, uh, if they kind of if if that you know if if that combined with Dalvin Cook being a little bit banged up uh, slows things down for both offenses. Um, but uh, I do, if I'm a betting man, I do like Green Bay, and I and I do like the over just because um, you know again as as bad as Minnesota has been. Uh, with those receivers and and that offense, uh, if Kirk Cousins does Kirk Cousins does like scoring in in garbage time, so uh, Green Bay in the over for me. The Titans are giving up six points to the Cincinnati Bengals. The over under that one is fifty four and a half. I mentioned earlier in the show Joe Burrow coming off a four hundred yard three touchdown game. He's going up against the Tennessee Titans defense that I would say is a little bit tough and stingy except their defensive line the last game i watched got really banged up and uh, their secondary just looks like it's slower and obviously with the bengals having t higgins out there who's lightning fast he's been doing fantastic uh, tyler boyd is again is lightning in a bottle aj green still reliable hands uh, i think joe burrow gets his first win this week uh, or is this second win maybe but he gets uh, a win against the tennessee titans so i'm taking the bengals money line uh, and i'm going to take the over uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do think, I do think this is going to be a closer game than a lot of people think. Um, I am going to take. Uh, I wouldn't take the Bengals outright. I do think they they uh, they cover. Um, I do think they cover the spread. So I'm going to take. Uh, I'm going to take the Bengals, um, and I'm going to go under 54 and a half for for these two teams is is quite a bit. Um, you know, I could see this easily being like a, a 24, 21 game. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go Bengals, but I'm going to go under here. All right. This one's a fun one with a big spread. And that is the Kansas city chiefs are giving up 19 to the New York jets and the over under is 48 and a half. So the reason the over under is so low is obviously they're expecting some sort of like a 42 to seven game. Well, that'd be over, but you know, right. a 42 to three game, some sort of blowout. Um, 19 points is a lot. That's the biggest spread I've seen in a long time, not outside of college football. And generally the rule of thumb is if you get double digits from Vegas, you take it. Uh, However, with the jets, they have not covered any of the double digit spreads that they've been up against. This Kansas city team does look tough, but I don't think the jets defense is that bad. I take the jets and I'll take the 19 points. um, And I will take the under. Wow. Okay. Um, I'm going to take Kansas city in the over, uh, even, even kind of running at, um, you know, at, at half speed last week against Denver, uh, where, where Patrick Mahomes was not his, his best was, was not as, um, you know, was not as explosive as, as he usually is with the, with the points, um, you know, in Denver, they still won by like 20. Uh, and, and I think, the New York Jets are a far worse team uh, than Denver is right now. Um, I'm going to go Kansas City because I, I think they're going to score. I think this could easily be a, a 40, 40 to 10 game. Um, 
Kansas City. I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go Kansas City in the over. I, and I like them. I like them covering that 19 point spread. The next one we have is your team, the Colts. Over under is 50. They're giving up three to the Lions. Uh, the Lions are a Jekyll and Hyde team to me because sometimes they look really good. Other times they look like dog crap. The biggest thing for me is can we please get that child abuser out of the backfield, put DeAndre Swift in there. He looked good last week. He had nine carries. Uh, he's also a great receiving back. I think he can be an every down back. And I just, I, I'm sick and tired of seeing Adrian Peterson. I wish somebody break both of his legs. That said, uh, looking at this game, I'm probably going to take the Lions here. Uh, and the three points. And I think this is going to be an over game. The, the The Colts play a lot of close defensive games. Their defense mm-hmm. is just ball hawks all over the field. Yep. But I still think that this game could be 27-23, and that puts us right at that 50 mark. So I'm going to go one tick over. I'm going to take the over, and I'm going to take the Lions and the three points. Um. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm going to take Lions in the under. Uh, I know, you know, I am a Colts fan, and I do hope they win this game. Um. But ever since they lost uh, week one to Jacksonville, um, I've been very disappointed in general. Uh, they, uh, I, I had some entries in a loser pool, um, picked Jacksonville to, to lose, and uh, they, you know, my own team screwed me over week one uh, and, and scared, the, scared the crap out of me again uh, last week against, or, or excuse me, the week before against Cincinnati, uh, where, where they had to come back and win that game. So, um, the, the Colts have been kind of a disappointment for me. Phillip Rivers has historically uh, kind of had trouble just finishing games. Um, and I think the Lions offense is is good enough to pull out a victory here, um, especially at home. I, I do take uh, the Lions, uh, but uh, you're right. It's, it's going to be uh, a defensive heavy game, um, and I am going to take the under. All right. The Baltimore Ravens, I'm guessing at home are giving up three and a half points to the undefeated Steelers. Uh, the over on this one's 46 and a half. These two teams both like to ground and pound the game. Uh, even Lamar Jackson's a running back, basically. Uh, J.K. Dobbins, I would love to see him get more carries. Speaking of rookie running backs, I would like to see get more carries. Looking at this team, three and a half. I think the Steelers' defense has just looked incredibly impressive. The Ravens' offense has not. However, I do love the addition of Yannick Ngakwe on the Ravens team. I think that he's a, an athletic freak that can make a, a huge impact in his first game with them. So I would say I'm going to take the Ravens. I'm going to give up the three and a half points, but that 46 and a half, I think we're going to go over that. Cause I would expect maybe chase Claypool to get a couple of touchdowns. You can see Lamar Jackson throwing it deep to Marquise Brown a couple of times. I'm going to take the over 46 and a half. That's a low over under. Uh, yeah, that is, that is a little over under. Um, I'm actually, the the Steelers have looked phenomenal. Uh, and I know they, they kind of had a a hiccup there towards the end where, where Tennessee almost came back in that game. Um, but until I see, until I see the the Steelers, uh, not stick or or at least their game script, not work out for them, uh, I'm going to continue picking the Steelers. Um, I will pick the Steelers in, in the under for this one. The next game, we have the LA Rams, 46 is the over-under, another low one against the Miami Dolphins, plus four. This is uh, Tua Tagovailoa's uh, rookie debut here, so we'll see if it was worth benching uh, you know, Fitzpatrick. 46 plus four, so we're looking at a game of probably, what, 25-21 uh, is what they're saying in that range, uh, you know, 24-22, something like that, whatever. Um, I think the Dolphins can actually win this game. Uh, I don't know if they will. That Rams team is tough, but you know, I'm taking the Dolphins because uh, even if they don't win, they're going to cover, I think, that four points. And I'm going to take the over because that Dolphins team uh, with Fitzpatrick was putting up a ton of points. And I understand you got Jalen Ramsey over there on the Rams, but I don't think that Rams defense is going to stop them from scoring. I don't think that – and I think that uh, Miami secondary is going to kind of lock down Goff a little bit. But I still think we go over the 46, and I'm going to take the Dolphins. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I like the over as well. I'm actually going to take the Rams though. I just, uh, I don't like betting on teams that are starting a rookie quarterback for the, for the first time, uh, all season. Um, as, as much as, uh, you know, as much as, um, the, the Dolphins have guys like Devonte Parker and, and Preston Williams, um, who have been explosive, uh, along with, uh, Gesicki, um, and a Rams team who has given up a lot of big plays, especially Jalen Ramsey. He's been getting torched uh, this season. 
Um, I still don't like the the rookie quarterback aspect. Uh, him coming into his first game, there's going to be, you know, as a starter, there's going to be jitters. Um, I like the Rams uh, in the over in this one. All right. And we'll do one more of these. We're actually running up against the clock here. So I'll just do yeah. – uh, I want to do our team here. Let's get uh, – where are we at? Uh, the Patriots are – I don't have the Patriots on here. The Patriots should be oh, – here we go. Patriots and the Bills. Bills, 43.5 is the over-under, 3.5 to the Patriots. The way they're playing, I mean, I don't know if 3.5 is enough. But uh, I guess they're still counting on a Bill Belichick-based defense to confuse Josh Allen. Josh Allen is prone to making mistakes, although he is playing better this season. Um, I don't know who the starting quarterback for the Patriots is going to be this week. And if it was Jarrett Stidham, I would take the Patriots because I do believe in him. If it's Cam Newton, I would take the Bills. So I think I would take the Bills. I'm going to give up the three and a half. And it's probably going to be under because that Patriots team just can't score right now. Yeah, uh, either way, I, I would take uh, I would take the Bills in in the under. Um, I do think Josh Allen has has trouble against uh, you know top top you know top fifteen defenses like like the Patriots are. Um, but that that considered, I, I do think that the Patriots are prone to giving up big plays when they can't generate uh, anything offensively, and they haven't. And the Bills defense is better than some of the defenses they've played in the last couple of weeks. So uh, I'm going to take the the Bills uh, in the under. Um, assuming that Josh Allen will at least make one or two big plays to to get them, you know, over over the hump. And that wraps up our show for the day. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully you check out more shows on Belly uh, Belly Up Sports. Check out some of the sports blogs. I do appreciate Ben uh, filling in. Uh, thank you so much for joining the show today. Yeah, no problem, Wayne. Anytime. Um, it was uh, extremely enjoyable, and uh, I'm always always down. All right, fantastic. Hey, do you want to, uh, since you're the guest, do you want to throw it to Kenny Smith? You just got to say something clever and Kenny Smith will come on. Yeah, Kenny, it's it's back to you, my friend. 